Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So we'll just jump in. First John chapter 2. Verse 15, uh, just by way of intro, remember John is writing to a church that he's pastored or has oversight over, um, and he's writing for them to live as the church based on the gospel he's presented to them. That's from the gospel according to John, um, Jesus' primary message. Um, and he's also dealing with various issues that the church is facing. Some of it's heresy, some of it's church people are leaving, there's all sorts of stuff. But in this particular passage, what John is doing is warning the church of potential dangers that could that the community would face um, and so he's speaking to those that are committed to the community that are enjoying fellowship um, and he, he now discusses really he warns them warns them this is a warning to the church of an attitude that will ruin their fellowship together their community as well as uh, lead them to spiritual destruction so this is a, a pretty intense passage so are you ready Wow, man, okay. All right, that's cool. I've been gone for a couple weeks. I don't know what Bill's letting you do, um, what he's letting you get away with. You were intensely focused. All right, keep it down. All right, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. All right, let's pray and we'll go on our way, okay? Sounds good? For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world or anything in the world. What does that mean? What is John saying when he says, do not love the world? Because for me, if I read this just off, you know, the pages of my Bible, I would think that what he's saying then is I can't actually love sunsets or the beach or surfing or really good food. I can't enjoy music and art and beauty, right? What is he referring to when he says, do not love the world? And, and the implications of this passage has taken the church down a horrible route. For many people, uh, it's caused Christians around the world to disengage from real life. It's almost in itself platonic, meaning uh, that the, the physical world is bad, material world is bad, and the spiritual realm is good. And so I think as Christians, we can be confused by passages like this because we, we have a poor understanding of what John is referring to when he says the world. And so for me, I really want to kind of spend some time thinking about what he's saying. Okay, you with me? So what is the world that he's referring to? Well, what he's not saying, just right off the bat, is that the material world and its contents are bad or wrong. He's not saying uh, or suggesting that the Christian life is one of, of, uh, of disassociating or disengaging from the world or disregarding non-Christians. He's not saying to hate the material world or its inhabitants. Um, uh, and he's not saying that all pleasure in the world is bad. He's not saying pleasure or desire in itself is bad. In fact, God creates the world in Genesis 1 and 2, and he says it's very good. God did not design us to to live a miserable life, as some people might think 
from the outside looking in at the church. So I just want to quickly clarify and say that there's nothing wrong with pleasure or desiring pleasure. God designed pleasure for humans. We are creatures that see and touch and taste and smell and hear. Um, God gave us sex as a gift. Um, there are The pleasure is part of God's creation. We are designed to rest and have fun and enjoy and create and to see beauty and recognize beauty and enjoy music. So John's use of the word world is not referring to natural creation or to human beings as human beings. The phrase often leads people to think that there's something wrong, that we should not even care about the environment because we'll just let it burn. We shouldn't love the world. That's what some people can just misinterpret from this text. So what is he referring to when he says the world? In order to understand what I think he's referring to, I think we have to go back and understand an age-old debate an age-old epic battle of the Mac versus PC. In order to fully grasp the power of what we're getting at, it really comes down to us understanding the way a Mac computer or a PC computer operates and works. Are you with me? So, are you with me? Come on. Yeah, it's not salsa today, but it's the Mac and PC debate. Let's do it. So you got to stay with me because what makes up a basic computer are three things. And uh, number one is the hardware. Hardware is the physical pieces, components of a computer. It's the tangible screen, the wiring, and the keyboard. The second is the operating system. And this is a big deal. The operating system is the program that manages all other programs in a computer. It's the way all the other software and applications operate. It's the way your computer is designed to function and operate through the operating system. And then the software, you've heard this word before, or, or you could say another word for it is program or application. Those are all the various kinds of, uh, of the things that go into a computer. So for example, let's just talk about the Mac because in the beginning, God created the Mac and it was good. <laughs> okay, let's just see. How many of you are Mac fans? Mac fans, raise your hand. Keep them up high. All right, PC. How many want to confess your PC using? Okay. <laughs> oh, I feel. We'll pray for you afterwards, and they'll have. <laughs> you can confess that sin later. Okay. So, no, I'm not. I'm not. No, actually, I'm serious. So, um, just kidding. So what we have here is the MacBook Pro. This is the hardware. This is a laptop computer that the Mac publishes and creates. Its focus and philosophy of design and functionality is completely different from the PC. Um, what runs a Mac computer currently, although in the fall they're going to come out with a new one, is the Yosemite um, iOS, iOS X. It's the operating system. This is the, the language. This is the controlling system or power that enables all the other applications and use of usability within a computer and some of the applications or software that you might have on your Mac computer are things like pages, numbers, and keynote. Are you with me? So just to, just to go back, so we have the created stuff, the hardware, but the way it's designed to function as a Mac is that the OS X, the operating system, is, is designed to f uh, allow your computer to function the way it was designed and created in the first place. So all the applications you add onto your computer function through the operating system. Are you with me? That's good, right? Not bad. I had to study this stuff. I mean, I'm used to Greek and Hebrew, but learning computer language is a different way. Uh, okay, so, and this was really foreign to me. So this is like some archaic language, actually. So this is a PC. Never seen one. Had to Google this. Um, 
Apparently, this is, there's, there are other types of computers out there, and this is one of them. It's called a Dell. I think it's a new company. I've never heard. It's probably small. Just kidding. <laughs> I love the Dell. No, I'm kidding. All right. Are we having, are, do you think I'm, are we playful? Is this playful banter? This is like sweet pillow talk right now, okay? So this is the, the Dell computer. They use Windows. So PCs, you use Windows operating system. And I think they're coming out with a new one as well, like 10 point something, but this is Windows 8. Um, and they, they, this is the operating system that is designed to function with a PC. And here are some of those applications that compare to the app or the Apple applications. Microsoft Office, you've heard of this? Microsoft Windows uses Microsoft Office, so you have Word and Excel and PowerPoint and all sorts of other things as well. And so this is the basic kind of ancient debate, and what you see people doing is they eventually get converted to the Mac, and, um, and it is a conversion to wholeness and eternal life, but then, I'm just kidding. Um, but what you have is when, what you have is the way that these computers, despite their usability and functionality, uh, are designed, they're designed to function with their operating system. Now, yes, you can try to operate the Mac with a Windows operation system, operating system, but it will slow it down, it will produce viruses, and it's actually not designed to function with that operating system. Are you with me? And the PC will not operate with OS X, Maverick, or whatever's coming out, El Capitan, Yosemite. That's the next one, right? El Cap, yep. Apple friends over here? Yeah, come on. Come on, I'm calling you out. Um, so, so how does this help us understand anything about the world? Well, let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all things, and he says it was good. And in the beginning, humans, you and I, were designed, we were created to live in right, perfect, loving relationship with God right, perfect, loving relationship with God, right, perfect, loving relationship with ourselves, right, perfect, loving relationship with each other, and right, perfect, loving relationship with all creation and the whole cosmos. We were, that was the operating system as it was designed. The way all things were supposed to work and function out of was through the operating system of right, loving relationship with God. And when that was right, Everything else worked properly. Are you with me? What happened is we were given the ability to choose. And we chose a different operating system. We were called and designed to live and worship God, the creator, in perfect, right, loving relationships. But we chose to operate on a different level from a different place. To operate not loving God and honoring him and worshiping him. But to operate from a place of worship, self, and other things. And that's where the whole world in John's language language comes into place. The world is a phrase that John uses to refer to the whole way of life resulting from the fall of humanity that's under the power of evil. It's not the physical earth. It's not humans as themselves. It is the operating system, the, the lens at which all things are functioning out of because of fallen humanity, because this was destroyed. Everything else went into shambles, sin, corruption, rebellion. The cosmos were tainted by our choice. And now God is on a mission to restore and reconcile and renew all things back to himself, putting the right operating system back once and for all, right loving relationship with God the Father and everything else will work out. Are you with me? 
That's the gospel according to Mac and PC. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was going to work. That was a good, that was good. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on, guys. Let's have some fun. So he's referring to corrupted, listen to this, organized social institutions. The world is referring to power structures. It's referring to sinful behavior in humanity, both individually and corporately as communities. The world has a different value system than God's value system. The world is in rebellion against the way of life that God designed in the first place. It has a different way of operating, of, of seeing things, of doing things, of, of, all, of, of just living. It's in rebellion against the way God designed. The world is a comprehensive sphere, excuse me, the comprehensive sphere of human life corrupted by sin under the control of the evil one. Are you with me? That's what we're talking about when we talk about the world. We're not talking about, um, we're not talking about sunsets and forests. We're not talking about um, music and beauty and creation that we have the capacity to do. We're not talking about simply uh, money and possessions. That's not all tainted by the evil one. It's the system. It's the operating system. It's the way of life. It's the, the value structures. It's our values. It's our way of doing things that have been corrupted by sin. You guys with me? So in John's theology, he's saying that the world is not a neutral place. The world is bending humanity towards corruption, rebellion, and sin. And God is bending humanity towards restoration, renewal, wholeness, justice, peace, and eternal life. So as we enter into the world where we live, the workplace, our homes, our neighborhoods, it is contested space. There are powers, principalities, there are individual demons, there are impersonal de demons and, and structures of evil that are working against the kingdom of God and the church to destroy it. You don't have to look hard to see that poverty is a social injustice that's full of systems that are corrupted, that crush individuals like children and innocence. That's what we're talking about. We could talk about it on the micro level when we're addicted to certain things and we've become held captive by our sin. Also, we're talking about social institutions that have been corrupted by bigger things out in the world. Does that make sense? So what I'm talking about is something called spiritual warfare. John is saying that the world is contested, it's not neutral, and that there is a battle going on. There is a battle going on against you. Every time you have some type of breakthrough in the kingdom of God, you will be contested by the kingdom of darkness. Every time you have a mountaintop experience, what often follows a mountaintop experience is a valley experience. Now, not all of those things are spiritual opposition, but lots of times it is. I'll be honest real quick. Since we started praying for healing four weeks ago, five weeks ago, when we prayed for anxiety the first time, I have had the worst anxiety for four weeks straight. Horrible anxiety. Crushing anxiety. Medication. I mean, it's just bad. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm, I'm sleeping. I'm doing everything I can to do breathing exercises. I'm doing all the physical stuff. But then what I realize is that this is a spiritual battle. 
This is a spiritual battle that we have to prepare ourselves for. And that's what John is telling, that the church is operating in a world that is bending towards rebellion, sin, and justice, and it's corrupted by all sorts of spiritual beings. And the spiritual beings will come at us spiritually, physically, emotionally. You want to know the way I believe the enemy is going to come at you if you're married? In your communication with your spouse. That is the easiest way to take out a marriage. Start working in little tiny things and unforgiveness. And you will see the, de- the decay of any, rela- any relationship. Communication and unforgiveness, you will see the decay of that relationship. That is how enemy plants seeds that grow into, into separation. You, you guys with me? Am I just talking to myself now? All right. I'm going to... I'm, I'm there, man. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm on my like sixth cup of coffee today. I think I realize that's why I have anxiety. No, it's only my fourth. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Social, social uh, attacks, mental attacks, emotional attacks will come at you. To love the world then, to love the world, in John's language, is to desire, to be attracted to, and to participate in the rebellion and corruption of God's creation. To love the world is to participate, to desire to participate, um, excuse me, to desire to participate in the rebellion and corruption of God's creation. To love the Father is to desire and participate in God's creation in a way that you were designed to operate in in the beginning. Does that make sense? It's putting the right operating system back in place, the way of looking out into the world, the way of seeing life in all things through the right proper lens that God designed us to have in the first place. And we live in a world exposed by temptations that lead us away from God every single day. So to love the world is to be attracted to something, to be led to enjoy the corrupted evil within it, and to indulge in a life that is opposite of the life of God. So, Um, This is John's way of saying uh, a famous passage in in the Sermon on the Mount, which is you cannot serve both God and money or mammon. You You can't love God or have love of the Father and love for the world. They are two operating systems. They are two different ways of existing. I cannot love my wife and have a mistress. Can I? That's, how, that's what he's saying, that there are completely different ways of existing on earth here and now. And you can't love the world if you have love for the Father. There are two different ways. They contrast each other. And then that's just verse 15. So let's go to verse 16. Let's re- read this together. For everything in the world, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from, from the world. So now John gives us three characteristics to look for for people that love the world. These are the characteristics that people that love the world are driven by or motivated by or energized by or are coming from. So to say what it comes from, the Greek word is uh, of the world. These are people, these are characteristics that are of the world, uh, meaning that these are your impulses, your motivation. This uh, creates a spiritual identity of a person. These characteristics are characteristics that are found in people who love the world. Uh, the first one is this, this phrase, lust of the flesh. And the word lust is prop- better translated desire. Uh, 
So it's those that are, um, ha- that live in, for a desire of the flesh. Now, when you hear flesh, maybe you're like me, you grew up in the church and you think, oh, flesh equals bad. John is not referring to bad things when he says the word flesh in this context. He's simply referring to the physical needs that every human being has. So you have a physical urge when you're hungry. Right now, my, my, mine's signaling, I'm hungry going crazy. And I know I'm going to have a burrito after this. So I'm pumped. And I'm like, let's get through this so I can get to that burrito, right? You know what I'm talking about? So, so he's saying that's a natural desire to eat or we are sexual beings. We want to have sex. That is a gift from God. But if as people you are led by those desires and you follow those desires unchecked, they will lead you down a, ra- a route or a path towards destruction. That's full. If, if your life is motivated by simple, simply your physical desires, you don't love the Father. So if you just follow your desires as they are, if I just follow eating whatever I want whenever I want, it leads towards gluttony. If I follow my sexual impulses to lead where it naturally wants to go, it leads to probably pornography, lust, sexual addiction, affair, you name it. It just goes down that road. If, it's, if you have these natural physical desires um, uh, for, for enjoying life and pleasure, it will lead you down that route. Are you with me? So recall what John is doing is if you follow that, um, it's gonna lead you towards a love for the world. That's a characteristic that defines people who love the world. They, their impulses are moved by their physical urges. You become a glutton, an addict. Sexual immorality comes. And really what he's talking about, and this is what most scholars say, is that it becomes a self-centered life. And that's what he's saying, is that if you, if you have lust of the flesh, your entire life is structured around your desires and interests. You are self-centered in all of your decisions. I mean, think about how this interacts with our human relationships. We disregard the people in need around us because we have these desires in, our, in us. If you're, if you're married um, and, and, or if you're in a relationship, any of you notice when your spouse is hungry and how they treat you? <laughs> Just say, that the lust of the flesh is after you. <laughs> My wife carries snacks around because she knows when I'm hungry. I'm like a kid. She, whenever we go on a trip, she's got a bag for Ezra's food and a bag for me. To, for me, it's hilarious. So whenever I fast, it's not some spiritual high. It's always a physical low because I know that I am led by my stomach. I really want good food. That's the lust of the flesh. Now, there's nothing wrong with desiring these things. It's when they're left unchecked. It's, it's when they are not aligned with the love of God in your life. His way of operating is different, right? So the next one is the lust of the eyes, which is, again, again the same word, um, desire of the eye. And that, that has a sense of greed, which is aroused by what one sees. So this is an, uh, it doesn't simply imply sexual desire or sinful, like pornography or visible things. It's about being captivated by the outer visible world. You're motivated and moved by what you see. So it leads to greed, to coveting, to jealousy, um, it's, it's, it's not referring to beauty or, or your preference. It's, 
it's simply talking about a life of sin that, that is produced within you based on what you see in the world. So how many of us, when our friend, we compare ourselves to our friends, they have more stuff, a better job, a, a bigger home, and we feel a certain way about ourselves because of that comparison. That's the lust of the eyes. We're finding meaning, significance, and purpose by what we see or what we lack. That's a different way of existing in this world to knowing that you are a child of God and all of your needs are given to him, given to you by him in the first place. That those desires are transformed when you actually submit and learn how to be the beloved for no good reason. Are you with me? When you realize that the world and everything in it, what really matters are the things that last for eternity. That yeah, you, someone could have a really nice car, that's great, and there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but what matters most is what I do with the stuff that I have and the way I treat people and my relationships with others. That's the stuff that goes on for eternity. You with me? The next is the pride of life, and this is probably the most confusing one, but the word pride in Greek is, is about arrogance and boastfulness, and the word life is a tricky one. Um, it actually means like the necessities of the physical life, or really the best translation is material possessions. So people that are marked by characteristics of the world, world are characterized by a, an arrogance or reassurance of material possessions. They find meaning, significance, purpose, and value in the stuff that they collect, in their, uh, their, their bank account and power and money, in the resources, in their, their, their ownership. Are you with me? And pride of life uh, is a challenge to everyone because what John will do, he, I just need to say that there's nothing wrong with having lots and lots and lots of money. There's nothing wrong with having really nice things at all. It's, it's not those things. Those things in themselves um, are, are, are not contested. It's how you interact with those things. It's how you find yourself using those things. It's how you find yourself associating your identity to those things. If that's where you find meaning, purpose, and significance, it's an idol. It becomes boastful uh, way of existing with stuff. John will say, if you have material possessions, it's the same word life, um, and you see a brother in need, and you don't have pity on them, the love of God is not in you. So he gives us actually a very practical thing to do, a practical way of existing in community, and that is for those of us that have stuff, we share. That's it. And not only do we share, we're not waiting to be asked. We look for opportunities to engage in a covenantal community. I'm so tired of people just saying, I'm waiting, waiting. you know, I have all these resources. I'm just waiting for people to, to, to ask me. No, 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 no. Live in such a way that you notice before they ask. You with me? There's nothing wrong with having lots of homes or, or owning lots of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. God, I believe God wants to make some of us millionaires and billionaires, but the point is what you do with the stuff, the way you value, the way you use it. Are you an owner or just a steward? Because it's all God's anyways, amen? Um, so our values should be consistent with God's and he desires all sorts of things. And so when, when I talk about values, we're talking about the operating system. And let me just give a practical example of this. God wants us to be generous, would you agree? Yes. Why? Because he's generous. He models generosity, wants us to be kind and loving. He, his character shapes our character. And so if you begin to follow Jesus long enough, hopefully the value system that you have will begin to shape and move towards Jesus and look like him. So if he, 
asks for generosity, hopefully you are empowered to be generous. So we're, we're doing Summer of Love and you're hearing about it, please go online, check out ways to get involved, pray with us, serve with us. Um, every Saturday there's been all, uh, all sorts of parties. Last night was an awesome hippie party. You've heard about that. Next week, someone else is hosting. But uh, last week, my wife and I, along with Carlos and Cynthia Sanchez, we hosted a Summer of Love taco guy party during the torrential downpour. Um, if, <laughs> of the famous torrential downpour of rain on uh, July 18th. So we hosted a party and uh, it was meant to be a beautiful thing outside. In fact, my wife prepared like Thursday. She had me set up tables and blankets, lay them out. She literally designed a map in our backyard because that's how my wife prepares. So all that to say, we have this value of hosting and using our resources to bless others. Carlos and Cynthia were a part of it. It cost us money, it was expensive. Um, it costs us time. It cost me a lot of time and energy because of my wife. Normally, it would just be a Saturday event. It was like a week before event, like mapping it out, like looking for online tools, measuring out the backyard and, you know, making sure it's right. I had to clean like crazy and all sorts of stuff. And then it just poured down rain. And so I had to set up tents. And luckily, I borrowed some of those. But I mean, it was mess, right? Mud everywhere. It was a beautiful experience. There were like 55 people that showed up. It was so much fun. Um, but it, anytime somebody gives, it costs, doesn't it? And so my story is that having a value like generosity costs us something in other places in our life. For me, I, we're, we're having to align the things that we really love. So we love organic food. That's a privilege to buy organic food. Some people can't afford food. We, we're aligning, you know, we want to take vacations. Uh, we, we try to go on a date night every week. So when we were preparing for the summer of love, knowing that it would cost us lots extra money, um, we had to assess the rest of our life and say, how do we make this work? And if we value uh, date night, well, this week we're not going to spend any money so that we can have money for this. That's how you work out, just one example, valuing the things of eternity. And so, yeah, I'm not gonna buy a nice new Zane robe shirt or whatever it is that you like, skinny jeans, you know, or drop crotch pants, you know, uh, Kanye West new shoes. It doesn't matter. Whatever the things that you prefer, you, whatever it is, I don't know what you do, burritos, etc. lots of good coffee. Um, but you have to align it with the greater values. Are you with me? So that's what we're working on, is becoming the kind of community that operates in the world the way we were designed to operate in the first place. Like family that shares all of its resources, that prepares for our brothers and sisters in need, that gives endlessly, because God gives endlessly. The world values and operates opposite of God. And those characterized that, uh, by the world are characterized by their desires to lead all sorts of sinful life that full of gluttony and sexual morality, addiction, lust, anger, and pride, as well as those that are motivated by what they see. They find assurance, insurance in the things that they have and possess. They're full of greed and jealousy. They covet, they're boastful in power and money. That's verse 16, cool? Do a couple more, one more? Just finish the passage. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So now John just says, look, at the end of the day, all that stuff, those desires for food and money and, and sex and excess, that's just gonna go away. It doesn't last. Why would you invest your life in that stuff when you can invest and live in a way that goes on for eternity? Do not adopt the world's attitudes or its way of life, but rather adopt the life that God designed us to live in the first place. And that is to do the will 
of the Father. How many of you want to know the will of God in your life? Okay, so here's what it is. In a nutshell, you ready? To love the Father. Now I say that, and I want you to know what I'm saying when I say that, because in John's gospel and his writings to the church, he summarizes the Christian life with that phrase, to love the Father. And that implies two other things, okay? To love the Father implies you have received the Father's Father's love yourself. That you have received your identity as the beloved. He initiates it, you've accepted it, you've experienced the love of God in your own heart, which has been lavished upon you in his benevolence and his grace. Over and over again, you are his child. That's where it begins. And from that place, you love the Father. And to say you love the Father is to uh, instantiate that you love your brothers and sisters. You cannot love the Father without loving everyone else. So when John says uh, you don't love the Father, he's saying you haven't received God's love, which means you haven't loved the Father and you're not loving other, everyone else. Are you with me? In other words, get your operating system back to its default setting so that you can operate the way you were designed to live in the first place. Amen. To summarize the Christian life, love the Father. That's it. So if we love the Father, we receive our identity, we love him back, and then we work for justice. We work to end human trafficking. We work to make sure everyone in our church has their basic needs, and if we don't have enough resources, we take some of our share, we just share with them the clothes off our backs so that we're all good, and once we're all good, we look out and make sure everyone else is all good, and by the time it goes, it's a movement. That's what happened. And that's where the church, that's why the church is the greatest movement in human history. Do you know this? By sociologists around the world. When I look at the characteristics, though, <clears throat> when I look, so, so I want to invite you, first of all, just to receive that. So for some of you, where do you begin? You begin by receiving God's love. Amen? Today, that's all you need to hear, that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. And we need to hear that every day. We need to sit in our belovedness. We need to sit as he just lavishes upon us his beautiful, bountiful grace and peace and mercy and kindness. Was that, was that Siri? Did she say amen? I think she said amen. Who's Siri's going off? Is that Encore Fitness going off right now? Just kidding, no. Hey, it's okay. I've got grace and peace. In the first service, there was a demon-possessed woman in the front row that was shouting at me. We had to kick her out. So that's fine. Siri can go off. True story. <laughs> you didn't see that coming. <laughs> True story. I was starting to read the word and she just started speaking lies and interrupting and we had to just escort her out and pray for her and she thought the cross was voodoo and Jesus was voodoo and wouldn't let us pray. And, but that's why we're here. So Siri is much easier to deal with. <laughs> but I want to end with this. When I look at the characteristics of those who love the world, I see myself. How, I read this on Monday, and I just, I I couldn't believe it, that if you love the world, and as I began to understand what he's talking about, full of pride and anger and lust, and led by your stomach, and led by what you see, pride and boastfulness in the relationships that you have, and the name that you might possess, or whatever it is, I just said, that's me. I struggle with this. I love the world. 
So does that mean the love of the Father is not in me? That's, this is what I've been wrestling with all week. And I just realized that we're all a mixed bag, aren't we? Aren't we all, we, we, we know, we've done a series called Yes, You. We know that the gospel and the, the, the way that the early church writers talk to the church and the individuals, that they say that you're all saints. When you're saved, you're all saints. God sees you as holy and blameless. and He loves you as you are and not as you should be. But yet I struggle with all sorts of junk. I mean, you don't have to hang out with my wife and I to know uh, that long to know that we're very opposite of each other. And it comes out in every conversation. We have difference of opinion. Like, it's just amazing that we're together and we're one. That's a miracle in itself. But I would love to naturally respond to conflict with grace and love. Would anyone want to do that for their spouse? Just whenever they're speaking to you, even if they're defensive, you don't have to be defensive. You can just love them and respond in healthy communication with grace and peace and joy in that real-time moment. I would just love that. That's not me normally. We argue. I get insecure. I get defensive and I push back. Or, or in my relationships, when I'm really down and feeling anxious, I just run to other ways to cope with those feelings that lead to sin. I just realized I struggle with sin. I'm tired of not talking about sin. And I just want to say, I really believe we need to talk about our sin. I'm, I love the world and I want to love the Father and not love the world. And I'm just thinking that we need to deal with the stuff that we're struggling with. Because we need, to, we need to become a bride that is beautiful and spotless and holy. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's Jesus' work through the cross. But we get to participate with this whole new project that's taking place all over the world of God renewing all things. And if we keep struggling with the same stuff, how are we going to combat the kingdom of darkness? If we don't believe we're loved by God, how are we going to combat the kingdom of darkness when we're actually engaging with other people? So let's deal with our junk, can we? Can we just pull it out of the closet? And here's what I wanted to do is give you four steps to deal with sin. So what I do in my life, and I just thought, why don't we start? Number one is name it. Name it, write this down. Write down the sin that you struggle with. Is it sexual immorality? Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it gossip? Is it anger? Is it laziness? Do you have a relationship that is not honoring God? Let's just write it down. You know what it is. I don't have to make you feel guilt. You already feel enough guilt. Don't we live with so much shame? The goal is to not live in shame anymore. So the second thing we do is we call it out. We confess it. Confess it to God. Confess it to yourself. When you name it, when you put it on a piece of paper, I'm struggling with lust. It loses power because the enemy wants to keep you thinking that you're alone in this. When everyone else around you is struggling with the same stuff, so you confess it. And it says in James, confess your sins so that you may be healed. You may be released and freed from those things. Some of you have generational sin in your life, addiction. Some of you have literally adopted false narratives about who you are, and God wants to break that. Start calling it out. Name it. Confess it with somebody else. Tell them, this is my struggle. And then the third thing is repent, or I call it make a plan. Repentance is changing directions. You want to really change in life? Change up your routine. Do something different. Get into a group and talk about it and have them hold you accountable. Be authentic and vulnerable. Change the narratives, but invite people to help you become the person you really want to be. How many of you are just satisfied living with the the PC operating system, Windows, and you've been given a Mac? (laughs) 
Oh, gosh, I, this, this group is great. This service is fun. <laughs> we got to call it out. We got we to gotta make a plan. We got to execute strategically ways to partner with the Holy Spirit so that we can see transformation a million years from now in our souls because that's how long we're going to live forever. That little tiny step is a trajectory towards eternity and infinite. And then invite the Holy Spirit into it. Invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Invite the Holy Spirit to let you know what it is that, he, uh, that, that you're dealing with. Invite God into the time that you're sinning. Invite him into the anger when you're upset with that person. Invite him into the lust when you're going down those clicks on the computer screen when you know you shouldn't. Just say, God, come here, help. Invite him into the process because this is why I believe I'm saying this. This is why it's so heavy on my heart. I believe power is gonna be released on this church in ways that it's just gonna grow. Touch around the world, I believe it. And I know that's, maybe I'm too naive, but I really believe it. People are speaking about that from all over the world. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I don't even believe it, but I, I'm beginning to sense that we need to raise, we need to step up to the occasion and call out to God, confess, repent, and pursue a life of holiness that we can stand on dry ground and pull people that are drowning out of the water. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.